Well, Kyle, we're back with you here for week two. Back again. Back again. And it's been great hearing from you last week. We're excited for it this week. But it was also really nice to get to know you a little bit last week. And so we want to get to know you a little bit more this week. Um, so we're going to do a little bit of fun, a little bit of interaction with everyone playing along at home. And we're going to play Two Truths and a Lie. But the trick is, it's Father's Day today. You're a father. So we asked your kids for the two truths and a lie. So you have no control <laughs> oh over what dear. these three things are. Oh dear. What <laughs> so, could possibly go wrong? <laughs> exactly. So we've asked um, Kyle's daughter for three facts about him. And two of them are true. One of them is not true. And so if you head to our Slido link once again to the polls page, um, it should be opening up and we'll give you a chance... To, there'll be three options on the poll, and you can pick which one you think is not true about Carl. But I'll read them out to you, Carl, and you can have a chance to comment. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty intrigued as to what they'll be. She's, she's been very kind to oh, me. Oh, that is good. <laughs> so the three, three facts that we have are that uh, you can grow anything but watermelons, um, you love beekeeping, and you hate tomatoes. Do you want to... Speak to any of those for us without giving it away too much. Two are true and one is a lie. There you go. <laughs> She's done a great job. This, um, they're very interesting. If, you, if it's true that you love beekeeping, I would, I'd love to hear where that came from. Well, I will say I like growing food. Yeah, that's my Interesting, thing. interesting. Food in the backyard, that's what it's all about. Food, mm. but watermelon is a food. Yeah, so, so it's tomatoes. Uh, so, so it's honey. <laughs> bees, bees are aren't, food. You don't want to eat too many bees. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't go down well. Honey, though. Yeah, interesting, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. So does that mean, like, if you weren't uh, someone who taught the Bible for a living, you'd be a farmer? Absolutely. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm a city kid, but, yeah, if I, I, yeah I'd be a farmer tomorrow. Yep. Tomorrow? Yep, yep. All right. But uh, talking to people about Jesus is more important, so I just farm my backyard. Can't blame you. That's, that's a good way, you know, best of both worlds. <laughs> All right. Well, we have some votes coming in and it's pretty evenly divided, I'd say. Currently at 37%, Ooh. you can grow anything but watermelons <laughs> is what people think is not true. Um, but, oh, now it's tied with beekeeping. <laughs> so I wonder, with those results, would you like to reveal for us which one is the lie? Okay, well, I've got to say the watermelon, Laura chose that one particularly because a few years ago we went away on a long holiday and I hadn't been able to grow watermelons and she just threw some seeds, some watermelon seeds in as some gorilla gardening. We came back and there's all these enormous watermelons, you know, <laughs> it's just not fair. Um, so that's true then, you that can't is grow true. watermelon. I can't grow watermelon. Um, I do have two beehives in the backyard, and okay. I may have over a hundred different varieties of tomatoes. Oh I my goodness! That I can grow. Yeah. So it's safe to say you love tomatoes. I got, I got issues. I got issues. <laughs> I think it's great. <laughs> That's wow. So there you go. At home, if you're one of the 28% of people who voted for Carl hating tomatoes as the lie, then you win. Congratulations. Everyone else probably needs to work on knowing Carl better. <laughs> Which you can do as you listen to him talk. So or you could just excellent. get a life. That would be a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's great to get to know you a little bit. Looking forward to excellent. continuing to do that. But I'm going to read the Bible for us now, and then we'll hear from you in a second. Thank you. I'm reading from the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. 
The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, I don't know what growing up was like for you, but I grew up on a pretty wild five acres of bushland in the south of Sydney with two older siblings and four older cousins who lived just up the street. And on that kind of property with that many older kids, growing up for me was both a contact sport and a survival challenge. And because I was the smallest and youngest kid, I tended to be the one who received the most contact and required the most patching up in order to survive. Now, fortunately, or perhaps unfortunately, I'm, I'm still trying to work that out, my mother had been a nurse. So there was nothing she couldn't fix, or at least that's what she thought. There was never a need for emergency rooms or hospitals or doctors or anything like that. If mum couldn't fix it with a few band-aids and maybe a bandage, well, then it, it couldn't be fixed. One day, my brother and I were having a bath. And we would have been roughly, you know, five, seven, that kind of age. And he was bigger. So he, of course, got the better end, and that's the end without the tap. Um, I got the end with the taps, and then something blew up between us. And there was a bit of aggro. And my brother decided to kick me with both of his feet into my chest. And all of a sudden, I was flying backwards. And that inconvenient tap became even more inconvenient my head and then the bath water started turning red and at that point my brother said what I think is the funniest thing I have ever heard in my life the bar we're sitting in a red bath I've got a pretty decent gash in the back of my head and he looks at me dead serious and dead serious he says don't tell mum <laughs> of course let's not tell anyone let's now, I'm not just telling you this story because I want to show you how remarkable it is that I made it to being a grown-up. That incident with the tap and my brother's request relates to what we need to talk, to talk about today. See, who had my brother wronged? Me, right? He'd wronged me. It was clearly me. So why was he worried about facing the wrath of my mother? It wasn't just me that he'd wronged, was it? By hurting me, he'd also wronged my mother because she cared about us and she'd given us commands about not damaging each other too much. My brother knew that by wronging me, he had brought himself under the rightful judgment of our mother. 
So, do you think God cares about the way we humans treat each other? Last week, as we looked at the problem of disconnection, we saw that it wasn't just a COVID problem. We saw that some of the disconnection that we feel has come from the way we treat each other. And we saw from the Bible that the way we treat each other is often motivated by those selfish desires that battle within us. And when my selfishness meets your selfishness, of course it's going to be hard for us to stay well connected. But the passage we looked at last week also held out a different way of relating. God's wisdom for relationships. It's about treating each other differently with things like kindness, gentleness, mercy, impartiality, sincerity. And we saw that the wisdom of those kinds of actions and attitudes, well, it brought peace, beautiful peace in relationships. However, you and I both know that living out those kind of wise, peace-loving actions and attitudes is not always easy. And we so often find our deep-seated selfishness bubbling its way to the surface and shaping our actions and attitudes, well, towards others not so nicely. But I guess I want to ask you, wouldn't you like to treat people differently? Wouldn't you like to treat the people you love differently? The good news is that God can help you to do that. But before we work out how God can help us to connect better with each other, we need to deal with that troubled connection with God. Because when we hurt each other in relationships, we haven't just wronged each other. We've also wronged the God who created us and cares about us. See, God loves all the people that he's created. And because God loves all the people that he's created and because he's given us commands about how we should treat each other, when we wrong each other, we are also wronging God. And so today we need to face up to this hard reality about what that's done to our relationship with God, about our disconnection with God. But the good news is the Bible passage that we're looking at has lots of good news about what God himself has done to fix this disconnection problem for us. The solution is all about Jesus, and that's why we're looking at a passage that is all about Jesus. So we're at point one, Jesus is. I don't know whether you noticed it as we read this passage, that Jesus is more powerful than you thought. Have another look at verses 15 and 16. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This verse highlights the connection between God the Son and God the Father. And what it's saying is that Jesus is the best way to understand what God is truly like because he is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus can show us what God is truly like because he's been there with God from the beginning, been involved in everything that God has done from the moment of our world's creation. The passage says that all things, everything, was made through Jesus. Whether it's on earth or in heaven, whether it's spiritual powers or human rulers, Jesus was involved in their creation. The most powerful person that you can think of 
was created by Jesus. Jesus is more powerful than you thought. Jesus is also more important than you thought. Verse 16 not only says that our world was created through Jesus, it was also created, did you notice it, for Jesus. Created through Jesus and for Jesus. Now what do you think it means that our world was created for Jesus? Do you think it's possible that our whole world was created for Jesus to be its Lord? Now I know that's pretty deep and pretty profound, but that is why we call Jesus Lord. He's the one in charge of the whole universe. It was created through him. It was created for him. It belongs to him. Now this concept of kind of owning the universe as its Lord well, it was hinted at early in our passage in a, in a bizarre little phrase. It's that phrase, firstborn over all creation. That phrase does not mean that Jesus was the first person born. I know it sounds like that. Jesus wasn't the first person born or created. Jesus has always existed with God the Father. He wasn't created. Yes, he was born once as a human, but that birth was not the start of his existence. That term firstborn, it's kind of like Middle Eastern shorthand for the one who inherits everything. I have a Syrian friend uh, who has three sisters, and one of his sisters is older than him. But when his father died, my friend inherited everything because he was the firstborn son. He inherited the lot, but it was his responsibility to provide for the care of his sisters. Jesus is the firstborn of all creation because he has inherited the lot. It all belongs to him. He's Lord of it all. Jesus is more powerful than you thought. Jesus is more important than you thought. And I want to show you two reasons why Jesus is more vital than you thought. The first reason is in verse 17. He is before all things and in him... All things hold together. This verse is saying that Jesus holds the whole creation together. That means that Jesus is not only the creator of our world, he's also the one sustaining our world to this very day. So you and I, we live and breathe today because Jesus continues to sustain our world and to sustain our existence. Jesus is more vital than you thought. But it's down in verses 19 and 20 that we start to see the second reason why Jesus is so vital. Have a look at verses 19 and 20 with me. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Jesus is the one who reconciles things. To reconcile is to bring things back into a right relationship with each other. And this verse is saying that everything in our world needed to be reconciled or brought back into a right relationship with God. Our world was out of step with God. Our world was out of sync with God. Our world was out of relationship with God. And I'm sure you sometimes feel that. You sometimes feel that our world is not what it should be. You sometimes feel that our world is in need of putting right. That's the reconciliation that this verse is speaking about. And the Bible tells us that we need it 
because, well, we humans have caused this problem that needs putting right. So we need to have a little think about our role in this. We're at point two, we are. I hate to say it, but we humans need to face up to the hard reality that we are more of the problem in our world than we thought. When we talk about us humans being more of the problem than we thought, where does your mind turn? Global warming? Economic exploitation? Wars? Conflicts? They're all bad and they're all symptoms of the problem, but the Bible gives us the underlying cause. Have a look at verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. Our human problem is described in disconnection terms, alienated, enemies. That human problem of disconnection from God ends up in the evil behavior of things like we just talked about, trashing the environment, exploiting others, fighting with each other in wars and conflicts, and all kinds of other equally selfish, antisocial things that we do to each other. But our human problem begins in disconnection from God in alienation and hostility towards God. You see, we humans have done a pretty good job of pushing God out of our lives. We've been hostile towards God. We've alienated God. We've pushed God away because we don't really want to listen to him about how we should live in his world. We humans have been quite effective at it. We've been very effective, done a very good job at pushing God out of our lives. And because we don't want to listen to God about how to treat his world and his people, we've tended to treat his world and his people pretty badly. You can see why our world needs reconciliation with God. And you can probably see why we need peace with God. You see, God has every right to be angry with the way we've treated him, the way we've treated his world, the way we've treated the people that he created in his world. In these days of cancel culture, God probably had every right to cancel us. God had every right to step back from hostile humanity and say, you're dead to me. But God didn't. Even after the horrible way that we've treated him, God has gone out of his way to make reconciliation possible between him and us. And that's the good news that I've got for you. We are more reconciliable than we thought. Sometimes it feels as though some disconnections that come from wrongs and hurts done by people, they are so hard to overcome. It feels like almost impossible to overcome. How fortunate are we that God is big enough to overcome the wrongs and the hurts that we have done to him? Let's keep reading from verse 21. Verses 21 and 22. Once you're alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. God's solution is all about the death of Jesus at the cross. That's what the verse means when it talks about Christ's physical body through death. And verse 20 says something very similar, by the blood of his cross. We're talking about Jesus' death 
on the cross. That's the key. So if Jesus' death is the key here, do you mind if I ask you, why do you think Jesus had to die? Why is that the key? Well, let me tell you, the Bible is really clear that there is a penalty for our rebellion against God, for our sin. God's ultimate judgment upon our sin is death. My sin against God deserves God's death penalty. And so does yours. And yet, because God loves his people, he stepped in and he took that death penalty in our place as our substitute in the body of Jesus. Jesus did it willingly. Can you believe it? Jesus willingly took on death on a cross so that you and I can have the opportunity to avoid God's judgment that we do deserve and share life forever with him instead. And if Jesus' death has paid the full penalty for your sin, then through Jesus you can be completely forgiven. The passage talked about it as holy, blameless, without blemish before God. It's big, isn't it? And when you realize what it took to make things right between us and God, I hope you can start to see that this is the only possible way back. We're at our last point tonight. Point three, the only way back. You see, if there were lots of ways back into a right relationship with God, then it would have been crazy for God to sacrifice his own son to death on a cross. If you could make things right by yourself through your good works or going to church or giving to charity or any of that, then why would God sacrifice his own son to death on a cross? I hope you can see that Jesus is the only way back into a right relationship with God. And the only way that you and I can access this solution is by putting our faith in that death of Jesus for ourselves. Now, when you think of faith, what do you think of? Do you think of blind faith? Do you think of wishful thinking? No, 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 no. True Christian faith is not wishful thinking and it's not blind. Christian faith is trusting in historical events which truly happened in history and still stand at the center of our history. When the Bible summarizes these true historical events, the Bible calls that summary the gospel. Have a look at the last couple of verses of our passage, verses 22 and 23. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. The gospel is like the summary of everything Jesus has done. And it, it's, it's about his, well, life, death, resurrection, and even his ascension to return to the throne with God. And it's, it's what you and I must believe to be reconciled with God. So let me lay out the gospel for you, and I think I can do it with a really basic mind map that kind of summarizes what we've learned from this passage today. So let me, let me give it a crack. We started out today by being reminded that we humans are God's creation. 
created through Christ. Then we were reminded, sadly, about our hostility towards God. We should have listened to God about the way to live in his world. But instead, we've largely ignored him and done our own thing. In pushing God away, that leaves us alienated from God and facing his judgment. Jesus is the only way back into a right relationship with God. Through his death for us on the cross, he has taken the death penalty for our sin. And his resurrection means that he's no longer dead. He's now alive as the Lord of all the universe. Now, if we trust in Jesus' death for us, we are forgiven by God. Being forgiven, blameless, and above reproach before God means we can be reconciled back into a right relationship with God. And if we have been reconciled by Jesus, then we have true peace with God. And we can enjoy that peace relationship with God that we were created for. That is the gospel up on the screen right now. And that is what you can put your faith in and be reconciled to God tonight. And if you look at the last few lines of this passage, you will see that this gospel is not just good news for Australians or, or just Europeans or just for any single nationality or people group anywhere. The gospel is good news for everyone because it is proclaimed in all creation. That is good news. No one should be excluded from this gospel because this gospel is the only way back into a forgiven, reconciled, peace-filled relationship with God. Now, you might want what this gospel is offering. Perhaps you haven't heard much about Jesus before. Maybe you've heard a lot, but you haven't responded before. Well, you can receive the benefits of Jesus' death for you. If that's what you want, well, you can put your trust in Jesus tonight. You can take Jesus on as the new Lord of your life tonight. Be forgiven, be reconciled and perfectly right in a relationship with God again. If that's what you want to do tonight, let me read to you the kind of prayer that you could pray to God to reconcile with God. I'm, I, I don't want to surprise you with this prayer, so we're not going to pray it straight away. I want to read it to you so you know what you'd be praying if you want to pray it. Let me read you the prayer, and then if that's what you want to say to God, you can pray it with me. We're, we're reading it first. It goes like this. Dear God, I'm sorry that I've wronged other people and wronged you. Please forgive me for my sin. Thank you that Jesus died to secure my forgiveness. Thank you for offering me reconciliation with you through Jesus. Please help me to trust Jesus as my saviour and to follow Jesus as my Lord. Amen. That's how the prayer goes. They're not magic words. It's just what you might want to say to God to make things right with God through Jesus. If that's where you're at, you want to do that, why don't you pray that prayer with me now? I'll pray it slowly so you can pray along in your own head between you and God. Let's pray. Dear God, I am sorry that I have wronged other people and wronged you. Please forgive me for my sin. Thank you that Jesus died to secure my forgiveness. Thank you for offering me reconciliation with you through Jesus. Please help me to trust Jesus as my Saviour and to follow Jesus as my Lord.
Amen. If you have just prayed that prayer and really meant it between you and God, rest assured God loves answering that kind of prayer. It is a life-changing prayer and it means a whole new relationship with God. And that's why Christchurch St. George here would like to, Christchurch St. Ives here would love to help you as you start out in this new relationship with Jesus as your Lord. So we'd love you to let us know that if you've prayed this prayer, just, um, just fill in the feedback uh, and let us know and someone here from church will get in touch to help you as you start out in this new relationship with God. Well, we're back now for Q&A with Carl. Uh, it's been a great night. It's been a great talk. I was really encouraged. And we have uh, quite a few really great questions. So thank you to everyone uh, who's been sending in questions. Um, and just a reminder, we won't get to all of them tonight, but during the week we are planning on doing um, an extended Q&A where you can see the answers to all the rest of the questions that are left. Um, and so if yours doesn't get uh, answered tonight, but you'd love to hear it, then check out our website and social media this week where you'll be able to find it. Well, let me start with this question, Carl. Why is death the penalty for rejecting God? That's pretty brutal. Yeah, yep, and it's pretty serious, isn't it? Uh, it's really serious. It's, so, it's somber. It's a sobering topic. Um, death is a penalty for rejecting God in a sense because God has, that's what God has said. And our problem is we're not very good at listening to God, so we kind of go, oh, oh, that's a bit harsh, God. You know, we are, and we kind of just sort of fob him off. But if we're going to listen to God, he's actually said, um, you know, rebellion will lead to death. Now, when we think about it, um, the Bible talks about God creating life, being life. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Life is connected to God. If you want to push God away out of your life, in a sense, you, you are pushing life away there is nothing else but death to come. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a hard reality, but I need to speak that truly because you need to know about it so you can respond wisely to it. So because God has created life and given us life, our rejection of him is a rejection of that life, and so... Yep, and um, another, another verse in the Bible says, the wages of sin is death. So it's, it's, not, just that we've, it's not just that we've pushed life away, God actually, it's, it's, a, it's a punishment for our rebellion. And that's because God loves his world that he has set punishments for rebellion. Uh, in our world, the, the penalty for breaking laws is not because the government is horrible. It's because they want to keep us safe and uh, look after us in a sense. Mm. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. It, is, it might feel harsh to us, but mm. that is what God said. And I suppose it might show us that... Uh, Maybe rejecting God is more serious than we might have thought. Exactly. Thanks for, for answering that. Our second question is, um, do we wrong God when we hurt ourselves too? Like beating ourselves up about things or the consequences of our sin? And if so, how does Jesus help? Yeah, this is a really excellent question. And I just want to... Um, deal with one thing first, and that is sometimes um, when we struggle with mental health issues, we do hurt ourselves in ways that are really hard. And I want to say mental health is, a, is an illness um, that... Uh, so it, I'm not really talking about that, although even in those situations, I want you to know God's forgiveness and God's love, even if you do struggle with mental health issues. 
So can I give you an example? I've been working with a student at university who is suicidal. Now, this student loves Jesus and, and wants to follow Jesus but um, has struggles with mental health. Um, in a sense, what can I speak to her about why she shouldn't take her own life? One of the things I found myself saying is that her life does not belong to her. If Jesus is her Lord, her life belongs to Jesus. It's not hers to take. Um, and so that, that's been something that she's found helpful, recognising, to, to help her not to do something that she really doesn't want to do, but in her mental health struggles, it is something she thinks about. Now, that's at one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum, which the questioner helpfully talked about, was beating yourself up when you've done something wrong. There is, there is a point where we do need to be honest with ourselves and face our weaknesses. Um, understanding your, your sin, your rebellion against God, understanding how you hurt people is really quite important so that you can make things right, so you can seek reconciliation, you can seek forgiveness from God, from the person. Um, there's a healthiness about that level of self-judgment, in a sense, uh, self-evaluation, but it can get to an unhealthy level. You can really beat yourself up badly, and that's, I, I don't want to encourage that. I want you to self-evaluate so that you can find the beautiful forgiveness of God, not so that you can crawl, you know, curl up in a corner in misery. So I'm hearing you saying that there, there is an extent to which beating ourselves up is, is really not good for us and not helpful, and that's not what God wants for us. That's right. And, uh, and if you're someone who does struggle with that, you need to know that God's forgiveness is, uh, is a beautiful thing. So run into the arms of God, your Father, and find beautiful forgiveness there, even for beating yourself up. That's really, that's very hopeful. Mm. Well, um, the last question that I'll hear your answer on, but I will ask a, a final one to tease the extended Q&A. Uh, but this one I'd love to hear your answer on. When we are forgiven and reconciled, what does that peace with God that you were talking about, what does that look like day to day? Yeah, it looks like a hundred things. Uh, it looks like a thousand things, a million things. Let's talk about a couple. One thing I love is the security of knowing that I'm safe with God, and that I have life with God. So I had a bit of a life-threatening thing happen a few years ago. And um, as I was lying in hospital, um, it was interesting. I, I had great comfort knowing, well, I'm safe with God. He's promised me eternal life. I fully believe that. You know, my life's in his hands and I'm pretty comfortable with that. So there's just a security there that's really nice. But also, it's going to impact the way we live life with each other. Um, if we're secure in God's forgiveness and reconciliation, that means we can sort of extend forgiveness and reconciliation to others. And this is a bit of a teaser for next week's talk. This is where we're going next week. If God is really good at forgiveness and reconciliation, can we learn from him to improve the way we relate with each other? That's great. So we get security in God, even in really difficult circumstances like life-threatening conditions. Um, and we also have that reconciliation from him that can overflow into our other relationships. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, this, this question is top voted. A great question. And I'm going to ask it. And Carl will answer it in our extended Q&A, which will be available during the week um, on our website and on our social media. So the question is, Carl, you mentioned that humans have purposefully distanced themselves from God, but what happens to people who are never told about Christianity before they die? So if you want to hear the answer to that question, then check out our website, our social media during the week, uh, where Carl will answer it.